I worked at a warehouse that like that uh like I wrote copy for vegetables for a like a like a produce uh hub where like they had this huge refrigerator and like company like grocery stores and chains would come to them. It was weird. Wow. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to write I had to like research and write so, uh, descriptions for all the different kinds of like rutabagas out there <laughs> and like Okay, because when you said I wrote copy for vegetables, I, I I'm I imagine you wrote dialogue for the vegetables to say. No, I wish. Like, Hi, uh, I'm a rutabaga. I wish. I'm, I'm filled with these vitamins no, and grown uh, in this kind of climate. No bizarrely uh, Christian CGI vegetables for me. I, yet. I, yet. Uh, but I... Ugh, no, I'll pass on that one. Um, <laughs> but, like, I... Yeah, I, I had to go over, like, every fruit or vegetable. Just imagine a big cooler. Like, the big back of the produce section thing in a grocery store that was all that just for this big... This big block on the south side of Chicago, and I would just sit at a little desk where there's like across from me there's like a dispatcher and Mm -hmm, like a mm -hmm. sales manager, and that was it. And then a bunch of people just bringing food in and out. And I wrote the descriptions on the website of like all the different. Sounds like a fantastic job. It was one of the last jobs I had uh, in Chicago before I started full time at the Onion. It was it was it was actually fun, but it paid so little that uh, there was that definite like itch in the back of my head, like oh god. This and is... by and at that time, because you have a child, I have two. You have two children. I do have How two children. How old are they? Um, four and ten months, and one and five months. And you're you said you're thirty four. Yeah. So you're an adult already. Pretty much. Because I don't know a lot of 34-year-olds. Oh, yeah? Who are married and have children in a major city. Makes sense. It's become the... It's not the standard as much anymore. Well, we tried to escape to the suburbs. We, we, you know, we went to the Evanston, but we lived in a really... Evanston is like the big city right north on the border of Chicago. Right, isn't the northwestern there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just we just got stuck in this part of town where the people on the north side of Chicago would come and rob us, and then the cops wouldn't report it because it would increase the property values of the rest of the very nice what? suburb. Yeah, oh brother, that's a long story, but uh, I'm listening. Uh, the the short version of my favorite story is um. I used, to, I used to own a condo. I since uh, sold it. I was underwater on it, and okay. we couldn't afford to make payments in it. Uh, so uh, when I lived in this condo building, we had our building's basement broken. In Evanston. In, yeah, and we had our basements broken into five times. And so they're just smashing open the laundry machines to steal our plastic tokens, thinking they were quarters. They, were, they had cable cutters. They had lock picks. They were opening everybody's storage unit and stealing everything. I had my bike stolen, all my old video games. They gutted our unit, just dumped it on the floor. So finally, this guy in our building, um, who was a cop in another suburb, had waited in his unit for the guys to show up. He got in at like 11, waited, just sat in his storage unit, locked up till 2.30 in the morning. Wow. Guys come in, uh, and he texts his wife, says, call the cops. And he steps out, and he says, hey, I have a gun. Don't move. Cops are on their way. Cops come. Guy's got this whole toolkit they unfurl, like this leather pouch with like the picks and hooks and like little plastic gloves for him to wear, like all this shit. Wow. And the cops say to the off-duty cop who lives in my building, all right, but like, what was he doing? And the guy who lives in my building was like, well, he was, he had a bike in his arms. He was, and he was going to take it. Like I, I watched him cut open the, the lock and take the bike and they're like okay he says his buddy told him it was his bike 
and he was just holding it for him. And now his buddy ran off, but he says that his bu- this guy was like told him it's his bike, and he's just holding it for him. With so a lie he- that that is that <laughs> with a lie that obvious, it means that the cop was really wanted to not deal. It with was it. unbelievable. Wow. And so, and then, and then it came down to they asked him like, okay, well, which way was he holding the bike? <laughs> which way was the bike pointing? And it wasn't pointing towards the exit, so they told the off-duty cop, "It's your word against his. We can't prosecute him. There's no evidence he was going to take it out of your building." We went, Holy shit! And there's no after uh, after there's already been a string. And of he robberies. said he said the door the door had been kicked open, but he, but uh, he said the the door was unlocked and he didn't see any no trespassing signs, so he just wandered in. That's incredible, and that's because they didn't want the property taxes to go up. You uh, said that's my theory. My theory is because Evanston is like a ninety percent affluent suburb, right? But then there's this chunk of it between a graveyard and the train tracks and Rogers Park that they will just not do anything, and like it's it's terrible, huh? That sounds like um, I don't know what the expression I want to say is a windy city in terms of the <laughs> politics. I can't believe Yikes. I I mean I we had an alderman come and meet with us in our basement and be like what are we I want to help you guys this is horrible but I I just felt like the, the other thing I should say too the patrol cops were great it was mm. a detective showed up and was like rolling his eyes at us so I don't know what the I don't know where it falls apart but they uh as an organization did not help me <laughs> when this guy and then this guy this guy they, they kept him overnight and said they let him go um they just kept him on suspicion yeah, or this guy who definitely stole my bike two weeks earlier got arrested and let go uh and um oh don't forget your toolkit yeah yeah pretty much i mean but then he got arrested for like uh an attempted stabbing a block away like six months later it's like oh, he must have thought that he was a, he was like immortal or immune yeah, well, he's of like course you i did. got arrested and you, i got out a, a cop literally watched you break into a unit with cable cutters and you get you get released the next day so he got encouraged yeah i would oh god i i at that point i was hurting for money i was like this seems like a great town to be just yeah this sounds like a, a third season of boss that's what it sounds like. Did you ever see that movie? No, that no. movie, that TV show, Boss, the Kelsey Grammer one that yeah. takes place in Chicago. Yeah, I I described it as part Wire, part King Lear. That's basically what it is, oh, brother. But I gotta say, I liked it. Gus Van Sant, it's kind of dope. Yeah, yeah, kinda I go, should watch. Kind of go down. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about <laughs> watching any television, Dan. Ever. <laughs> um, I'm just saying. It sounds like. You know, there's things like that. Like, these are the things that, like, a story like that is like, what the heck is going on systematically, politically, that is discouraging I just feel cops like from solving all our crimes? Systems or... are so old. It's just like anyone who gets hired now for a government job is just so sedentary. Like, you, however you get a job in our government, someone stops you right away before you do anything and just says, "I don't know what you think your job is, <laughs> but here's what you're really supposed to do," and I, and that's. And as a result, our government is run according to a bunch of like, you know, generations old gossip of how you're supposed to like there's the actual rules never get read by the people who get elected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We had just had Jesse Jackson Jr. get indicted. Yeah, yeah. Like like and he wasn't even he was in like like a mental health facility for eight months of was his he? last term or something. Oh yeah. 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 And like for exhaustion and depression or something. And, and like exhaustion, the most I don't, amorphous, well, like I, I like the whole time. Part of me wanted to believe, like I feel bad for this guy. Like if something is really wrong and he really believes in his platform, but then he, yeah, he's like, Oh yeah, maybe I was, you know, spending money. Like, it's like, what the, ugh. 
It's it's so bad. That Looks I don't bad for Jesse know. Jackson Senior. Right. <sighs> yeah. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just saying that, like, that's a it's a that's a pretty damning thing to do to that name. Well, definitely, yeah. Definitely. And, so, and I, Jesse Jackson, that name is off the that's that's off now. It's cut like Jesse Jackson is like the black version of the Hitler mustache. Oh yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just like no one can be named Jesse Jackson anymore. I thought I was getting a piece of wisdom <laughs> laid on me for a second there. No, no. No, not really. Well, anyway, speaking of uh, Jesse Jackson's uh, and stuff like that, I'm going to let you describe what your subject is. Yeah, I wanted to talk about darkness and darkness. Like, what and the like, crap does that mean? Okay, there's two. There's there's like two arenas of this that I find especially fascinating. One is just like I love like old mythology and old mm-hmm. folk tales where just creepy ass demons creepy trick fuck. people and shit. And I feel like at the root the of, little mermaid dies. Yeah. Like I love, I think we used to be way more into, uh, scary stories in a really fun way. Like I, I always liked darkness when you inserted a bit of whimsy and fun and mm-hmm. silliness into it. Mm-hmm. And I think we used to be really good as a civilization at doing that on like across the planet, like every culture was really good. Would you call it like gallows humor? Kind yeah, of? Well, yeah. Well, no, kind of gallows humor is like when you, you need a relief from a dire situation. Right, right, and okay. I feel like even when the situation wasn't that dire, they would hint at direness and be like, yeah, but you know, and then a pixie clonks him over the head and the pixie made everything. Okay. Like, like they were good at doing that. Okay. In like every mythology, and and over time we we've become a lot more tight assed about it, and I think it's because over time we've become a lot more self aware, and we're scared to admit how fucked up the planet is. Like the more self aware we are, the more we think uh, darkness means uh, we're doomed as a civilization. Like like I think we we start to go, oh no, like well, <laughs> like, don't, don't think about it. Well, if you farther, think about it, it'll happen. The more we learn about our own mistakes, the more we start to go, oh are we always destined to repeat them? Is it really worse than like, are we deluded? And and I think if we would face it, we would be less doomed, but I think we bury it. And as a result, uh, repeat, be- repeat those mistakes we, yeah. because and, we're not um, aware of them. But the other part of darkness that I find so fascinating is darkness and humor, mm-hmm. especially as we are both comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, have you ever had like a booker or a club owner discourage me from doing a bit especially like early on because this was only really a problem for me early on but like tell you that something was either too dark or you try to get booked at a club and they're like oh, we watched your clip it's a little dark oh. maybe because you're black they'd be afraid to use that word but like, <laughs> but like have you ever have you ever had that happen with your humor where they were they they alluded to it being a little too like um, messed up i'm not sure uh, i feel like I was encouraged to basically follow. There was a couple times in New York when I got there that I was encouraged by some uh, certain bookers and and show producers to move towards doing a TV friendly act, uh, to move towards a 90s paradigm that I feel like is kind of outdated. It's coming back a little bit in terms of I was told very specifically, you should be doing your TV show on stage. That's what you should be doing. You yeah, should, yeah. You should be doing the act that is easily translatable into a sitcom. Well, and in New York too, like they already like everywhere you go, they're pounding your your set for you. Like they're like they're always giving you unsolicited advice and all the time. Yeah. But 
I that's why I guess I kind of tended to gravitate toward the more indie alt rooms, even though. And when I say gravitate, I gravitated towards them. I didn't really pursue them. A lot of people pursue those rooms because they're perceived to be the cool blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, you know. But that's where I got booked. That's where I felt freer yeah, yeah. to talk about whatever the hell it is I wanted to talk about in the way. I didn't, felt, I didn't feel I was a quote-unquote club act. And don't you find it fascinating how, like, because I think I, when I say I'm fascinated by it as, mm-hmm. if, as if I don't understand. I think I know what's going on. But, like, don't you find it fascinating how... They'll say TV friendly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you didn't swear, and you're and you're forced to confront like, okay, what element of what I just did isn't T? I didn't swear. I didn't say anything. I didn't talk about fucking. Like I didn't yeah, talk about. I didn't talk like, about non swearing because it sex. might be. And I, and I, it's like, and I was talking to somebody about this uh, recently because it's like, I've always resisted. I'll use the word resisted. Autobiographical material, mm-hmm. and I have been convinced. I've become convinced or convinced myself that I don't, I, I have a mental block on things that have happened to me. Yeah. And yeah. Making them interesting. Um, because I guess that I, I, that's my, I totally have that happen too. That's my standard is I'm more interested in interesting than true. I'm interested in both, but I also have a lot of stuff in my life. I either don't want to talk about or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a lot of my life is really dark. Like I've had some really dark shit happen to me. And, and, and like, if I think about it too much, I start going, well, do I want to make comedy out of it? Right, right. Um, and I think I can a lot of time, but then it's not TV friendly. It's it takes five minutes. Then you feel limited, right? Yeah, and or like where you where you can do that act, what you feel represents you. The places that you can do that are basically restricted. But it's true for a TV act as well, because there are a lot of comedians out there that have a quote unquote TV friendly act, but can't do an hour. Like try try to watch them for an hour. They have a good seven minutes. Yeah, and and I have so much material that I wrote just because I know it'll be friendlier. Mm-hmm. Same here. And like, uh, I remember I got really annoyed with Kyle Kinane when he did this interview, and he was like, "Some people got to, you know, they've got like their friendly set and their club set, and it's different from the normal set, and that bums me out." And I was like, "Oh, Kyle, but you get to say that because you did it. Like, you, <laughs> I'm so jealous of you." Uh, because it is totally, I think it's totally a thing where like you can go dark, but you really have to earn it. You really have to get to a point in your career where people trust you automatically. I think a lot of people who call themselves like, like, Oh, I'm doing alter indie rooms. Like, right. Right. They end up using it as a crutch too. Cause they don't know how to just connect with a broad scope of people. Which I, It's I get, part of it. Yeah. But like, I'm always, I'm always surprised. I, I I've done a lot of dark material in blue collar places right. and it goes over great. Mm-hmm. It's when people tell me I can't, that it doesn't, it, that it really becomes a problem. Like, like I've also done really dark sets, had them go over great. And then have the owner come over to me and be like, you got, you can't do sets like that, man. You got lucky. They didn't boo you off the set. You know, like they try to act like they know something. Yeah. 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 And they're like, you can't, that's not what this club is about. But they're thinking and, about like, like escapism. That's what it is. It's like we, yeah. uh, we uh, th- everyone's here to kind of not think about what you're talking about, basically. Like the whole Bill Hicks paradigm of like, we didn't come here to think. But in a sort of the same way, the darkness is we didn't come here to feel your pain. But of course. Right. And like, I, I also, I'm, I'm kind of proud that I don't use stand up for therapy. I know some people do, and I don't, I don't begrudge that at all. But right. like, one of the things I like about the way I approach stand up is I never do it just to vent. Right, right, right. Um, and I, some people are good at that, and that's fine. Yeah, and and, and there's a place. But I, I think that's what people are definitely scared of. Like, I think a lot of those people who tell you, you know, like this is supposed to be light escapism, are afraid there's something wrong with you. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I think Did you ever read- I've been approached when I'm, I've, I'll be like mentally a okay, and then right. someone will come over and be like, I think you're brain damaged and you're trying to make everyone in here brain damaged. You ever read Girl Interrupted? Uh, no. I've you, seen the remember- film. Okay. The book, there is a little thing about, uh, she talks about people's projections on the, when she, they find out mm-hmm. that she's been in a mental institution, mm-hmm. it gives them such great self doubt because they're like, but you're crazy, but I, you're like me. Maybe I'm crazy. It sends them on this kind of like, but if you're crazy, that means that I could be crazy. I could be I could have been crazy this entire time. I didn't know I was crazy. Why why am I thinking of these things? Get away from me, right? Fear we don't understand, especially with yourself, sort of a thing. Well, yeah, and I, and, and I think female comics and women in general have it even worse because they have that stigma of you're always crazy or your horm- hormones emotional, make you crazy. Blah, blah, blah. Like cuz the word crazy is this wild card that makes you socially unacceptable. Right. And 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 the effects of female hormones uh, might mimic s- <laughs> instability, and then they get completely ostracized because they just instability were a little to, more out- instability to men. Yeah, well, <laughs> but like I I think I think they get they get it bad. Like they the, the way they get stigmatized for being uh, emotionally emotional, right, right. emotional. But in, but in the yeah. same way, it's like I, and I and I some. Because of that, sometimes women are it's they're allowed to express themselves, express their feelings. Sure, yeah. Whereas I feel like men, it's not the societal uh, expectation. So generally, we don't get to. It's not expected of us to say exactly what it is that we feel and to have doubts. Yeah, and I have no problem doing that. We so don't, but then that, people find that uh, weird and something threatening. weird. Yeah, I don't know. How come you're not an alpha male? They think theater school made me weird. It really did. I um. I used to be super introverted, and in most cases, I still am. Like, mm-hmm. I, if I'm hanging out with people I don't know very well, or if, especially if it's at like a noisy bar, I get not social anxiety necessarily because it doesn't feel like anxiety, but I, I get a lowered social interest. Like, I just sort of like kind of like that's introversion. Yeah, I get really, <laughs> I get really introverted. Like, I, I went to um, uh, Bar Lubitsch right on Friday. Peachy King? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was an awesome show. Uh, Jared Logan closed it out. He destroyed. Uh, and afterwards, I was having fun, but I just realized, like, after 15 minutes went by, I'm like, I'm kind of just not talking to anybody. And I'm like, I'm ready to bust this. The thing. moment I enter the thought, <laughs> I want to leave, in my head, yeah. I can't let it go. It just it just reverberates until it takes everything over. Even if it's I've only been there for 10 minutes, I'm like, I want to go. And it wasn't any, it wasn't like I was depressed, but as soon as, um, uh, it was me, and as soon as I got two other comics to come back to my apartment and just watch Alien with me, <laughs> I was right back in a, like, extra, and, like, that's the thing, like, theater school helped me figure out how to be extroverted whenever I want to be. Right. And I think because I'm not a natural extrovert, I look self-indulgently crazy on stage sometimes. Mm, and okay. I think I think it can be really confusing social. Like I think people think it's dark. Yeah, when it sometimes isn't. Like they they just it just it'll be explosive and strange and and they'll think like like why was he just yelling? He was <laughs> yelling about hedgehogs something's going on there you know like like (laughs) and like i'm doing it because i think it's funny to look at someone yell about hedgehogs like right people will know that or to cuss them out about who we think the best dinosaur exactly like like the the big punchline for the best dinosaur chunk is look at how he's taking this too seriously yes that is the ultimate punchline it is not being right 
It is not being factually correct. It's that it's silly that you're it taking why, this so seriously. Why, is, why have I allowed myself to have this arc where I'm slowly getting more and more abusive towards the audience about the dumbest bullshit in the right, world? Right. But a lot of people just see that and they go, why are you a mean comic? Like, why are you? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Why are you mean? Um, yeah, because, you know, it's like I, I, when it comes to, like, trying to do autobiographical material for myself, I mean, I'm trying to let it happen and thinking about it or whatever the fuck. But it's like, it's kind of dark, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what, what it is that has happened to me or I experienced. Well, I have, the, I have the, on one hand, I'm like, it's too dark. And also, there's certain things that have happened in my life that are the stereotypical black experience. That it's I've like, heard you talk about the no dad thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I can't even talk about that. Yeah, because yeah. it's been burned. You know, it's just like it's like I can't talk about not having a father. I can't talk about growing up with some gang people I knew that were in gangs or getting robbed or because it's like it's all those things have become such familiar tropes to black comedy that even if it's happened to me, I can't talk about it because everyone's like heard it, heard it, and especially when I speak the way that I speak, then it sounds like I'm mocking it. It's weird because it's like my genuine experience, but people don't think I'm a genuine black person. So there's like this weird discrepancy, but then there's other things in there that I'm like, ah, this will sound weird to say, but it's like, I don't see a lot of other black comics. Well, that's not true. I do see, I see very few other black comics talking about their personal experiences in a way that I think well, I would want to. Yeah. And I think what you're smart about is like your, your intelligence is backfiring. It's, it's basically like, you know, you're, you're self-aware dude. You're going, I know exactly what I want to talk about. I know how I. I could say it, but because I'm a part of an art form with a lot of cliches and tropes, the second it comes out of my mouth, I'm worried I'm going to get a big groan or a big eye roll or a laugh in the wrong place, and it is going to make me disgusted with what's going to come next. Very well said. Right? <laughs> Very well said, I, I have this problem because I'm married and have kids where a lot of people think they know what those jokes are going to be. Right, right, I, right. I'll often get asked to do dad shows or married dude shows. And every, like everyone will just go up there and just talk about how their kids are pieces of shit, their right. wife's a piece of shit, and I happen to be extremely happy in that arena of my life. Uh, and a lot of my jokes are then self-deprecating about being a husband mm -hmm. or a father. And guess what? Uh, very different from being a black man. Absolutely other side of the spectrum, but a similar thing I encounter is a father who is unsure of himself strikes terror in the hearts of many people. It sounds like someone who is about to leave their family. Like it sounds As opposed like somebody... to the guy who is, who is saying with certainty, they're all wrong, I'm right. right. Like at least an asshole dad sounds like he's probably a hard worker. Or <laughs> but, like a, but a dad who goes up there is like, oh, my kid beat me up. and <laughs> Like that makes people go, fuck you. Get, grow some balls, asshole. You had kids. And so like... <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been booked. I, I, I won't say what it was, but I got booked to do a, a quote unquote big show that I mm -hmm. got paid a nice chunk of money for. Okay, it was, it was, it was an all, and I don't ask me what it was because don't guess, but it was an all moms show. Okay, and I was a token dad. All right, and I went out there in my suit, and I'm a gangly guy. I'm six five, about two ten, so I just look kind of gangly in my suit okay immediate laughter just people pointing and laughing these were it was i should say also the audience all moms who've been drinking frozen alcohol for three hours 
because this is the second show they kept him. Jesus Christ. And, um, uh, so, so you just, your appearance was already hilarious. And they're pointing them. laughing, and I tried to harness that and be like, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing already. Well, it's going gonna to get weirder, everybody. But they did not want weird. They wanted the token dad to just come out and be like, here's my perspective. And so, but ladies, you're all right. I, yeah, I start talking just about me running away from bees and like my daughter beating me up and my daughter saying scary things. And these are all bits I've done in like even like low expectations, light escapism clubs, but they were all moms <laughs> and all drunk and it was late and they just got, they all went pale. Did anyone like, yell, take it off? Um, maybe early on they almost <laughs> did, but, but I had, um, I had a, an eight minute set and within a minute and a half, they were all thinking about how their husbands might be failures. Like they were no longer in the mood to laugh. Jesus Christ. They were all just like, Ugh. they got some darkness. It, it got fucking, and I was the whole time I'm performing. Like I'm in another room. Like I'm performing. Like this is just a pretend audience. And under the table are people who are who are have a ball gag on and are really enjoying this. You know, like well, is there also I, this... I kept the energy up the whole time. I like never felt sorry for myself. I was just like, yeah, yeah, this happened. Oh my god! But they're all just like ashen, just like oh, oh. Well, because also what you're like you said, you're happy. Yeah, you're a happy father and a happy husband. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like the way that you've chosen to, to speak about this is to get into your own head about it. So it makes them think that that must be who you always are well, at every single moment of the day. And it, it was, yeah. And like the worst part was this was for a taping and I had to sub submit a transcription of my set for, and right. I was supposed to stick to it word for word. And I was like, I could probably massage this a little bit to get people on board. If I had time for crowd work, if I had all this other stuff, but time to do comedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But no, I had to stick to a script, and it turned out I just shouldn't have been. <laughs> I just shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been there. Was that your closer? You know what? I shouldn't have been here. <laughs> hey, Good night. Everybody. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't have been here. Good night. The MC mispronounced my name too, so it was, oh. was kind of like I wasn't there in the first place. Oh, that's always a great one. The least, the least amount of work as an MC is to pronounce the name of whoever is on the show correctly. That is my biggest obsession. It's like. I am um, that messing up someone's name is ridiculous. They pronounced it to me correctly before the show started. Oh, okay. So you didn't know that they were going to fuck it up right no. before you came out exactly. to do a TV set for drunk frozen margarita I didn't moms say it was for TV. Oh, or okay. Do some show. <laughs> I just assumed it was TV for some reason, but they're coming out to doing the show to drunk moms McGillicuddy. Oh, jeezy crazy. Oh, wait a minute. You talked about transcripts and stuff. Okay, I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> I'll take your, I'll take your uh, smiling, nodding silence as a, let's, uh, this is getting a little too dark for you. I, I see what's Not that. I just, I just don't feel like having another conversation about this set that was already dead and buried. I got you. I got you. <laughs> this, this conversation, great. Later, when people listen to it, no, not, not, that, not that conversation. Okay, perfect. Um, well, okay, so that's interesting. And tell me some more about, like, uh, uh, some examples of uh, more examples of what you see people perceiving as darkness or how you see them kind of reacting to it. Well, like, like what do you think is like, what do you think are like the, if you can delineate the steps 
of, okay, that's a dark joke. Now I'm going to act like this. All right. I think a good example is I've had to learn as a comic, like when you're just being self-indulgent with dark material. Cause I think dark material is really fun and you can always do it. But, uh, there's certain times when you know it won't go over well. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. and like for me, a big part of it is my, I've had to learn the hard way. My like celebrity targets are very different from what other people's celebrity targets are. Right. I, I, you attack the band that everybody loves outside of the city you live in. Yeah, exactly. Or I really hate anyone who's rich or in politics, regardless <laughs> of political party. Right. Okay. I'm 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 very far to the left and politically unaffiliated. I unapologetically voted for Nader in 2000. Mm. Uh, I don't give a shit about people who tell me that was like throwing the election. Ooh, I think those people are finger waving, and those people think I would have voted for Gore and I wouldn't have. Uh, now I'm maybe I wish I I I had, but I also I also lived in Illinois, so who cares? Yeah, uh, he would have won anyway. He's gonna take um, He's gonna take Illinois. So I also feel like uh, my my first my first reaction to any celebrity is is uh, a little different from, and I'm not I'm not bragging, but like, you know, uh, a good example is I have zero interest in sports, mm-hmm. and my first reaction to almost anyone in sports is like. Are they rich? Are they doing well? Then I should be able to knock them down pay. Uh, and that is often not the case at all. Uh, Michael Jordan, today is his 50th birthday, right? Oh, I didn't know that. It is. It's his 50th birthday. And I posted something on Twitter and deleted it immediately. Uh, oh, just to, just to make fun this of is, Michael what Jordan. What day is this? This is Sunday. February 17th. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we're recording this on February 17th. It's Michael yeah, yeah, Jordan's yeah, yeah, birthday. Yeah, yeah. If you hear this on the 20th, it was Michael Jordan's birthday three days ago. And I have no beef with Michael Jordan. I right. grew up enjoying his basketball. Yeah, because he's Michael Jordan. But, well, yeah, but then I hit a point when I was like 14, 15 where I went, you know, he seems kind of mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the team doesn't seem to really get along behind his, I no longer, I, even though I'm in Chicago, I don't like the Bulls anymore. Like I started to just go... Kind of like Clyde Drexler. You're, a, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I kind of like Clyde the Glide. I do. He was amazing, right? So you're a fierce kind of. Uh, you go against the grain a lot as a go-to sort of thing. I you'll my, take, you'll I take really, the stance. I really lose interest in winners. Um, and and so when he has birthday, I posted just something mean, just for the sake of being mean. Uh, and I deleted immediately. Still lost ten followers in like <laughs> the five seconds it took for me to delete it. And I don't regret what I said. But I do feel like if the point is to put it out there and be funny to everyone, there's no point if I'm just doing it to be an asshole. And like, and I know better is the problem. Like, like I, I don't enjoy being an asshole, but I feel like if it's a rich person who would just as soon, you know, punch out all our teeth, drop us in a gutter and let the coyotes eat us. Right. Then because they feel that they're just, because they exist, they have entitled. like, like, but the problem is I don't think everybody goes that dark <laughs> i don't think everybody uh, assume a lot of people still really want to really want to worship like, them yeah and i had just rewatched michael jordan's uh hall of fame acceptance speech which oh. have you seen that no i haven't i highly recommend it as a piece of comedy <laughs> it is unbelievable do explain a uh, very funny chicago comedian my name is sean flannery okay um just posted something on twitter that i think was a much better michael jordan joke uh, than, than what I posted. Okay. Um, his well, joke. What was the joke that you posted? The joke that I posted was, 
And again, I I fully admit this is not worth it. Okay. This is not. This is a, to to get the provoke the ire of. Uh, this is a a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> B barely a joke. Like there's barely even a. All it is is just. Look at hey that guy's an asshole. Bad and barely. Okay. I said hap. Let me try and get this right. Um, happy fiftieth. Happy fiftieth. To that uh, furious cigar chomping fat dude. I hear he used to be really good at running around with a ball. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I was, and I had just watched his Hall of Fame acceptance speech where he basically, um, you're supposed to talk about how much you love the game and, and how much you love how much you love himself. He talked about how much everyone had betrayed him and how he no longer trusted anyone. <laughs> It's the funniest thing. But hey, Sean Flannery had a great tweet. There's something like uh, like assholes throughout history. The greatest assholes are history. Uh, Walter Peck from Ghostbusters and then somebody else. But then the greatest asshole was Michael Jordan during his Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Okay. And, like, I, and I had just watched it. So I was like, oh, that's you. Sh- I, I, it didn't include that I something assholey that Michael Jordan had done. Right, uh, right. I, he didn't appear to have deserved what I said. I would just look like... Hey, yeah, guys, old, out of context. Yeah, I was just like, hey, that old fat guy's rich. Fuck him. <laughs> it's like the worst. It was just a shitty, shitty joke. And you I, think that's more self indulgent? Is that absolutely, connected with, okay. absolutely? Because I just felt like there wasn't enough stuff taking him to task out there, and I put that before any layers or irony or setup. I just was like, let's just take him down a bit. And I, he doesn't need to be taken that big. He's he's an old dude obsessed with. Uh, with competition, he's gonna he's gonna be plenty tormented on his own. He doesn't need he'll a never know I exist. B doesn't need yet another. Antagonist. But he doesn't need to know that you exist to no. be tormented. No, he's his own antagonist. He's, he's already doomed. It's unnecessary. <laughs> so I felt like a, I felt really amateurish and stupid. And that's why okay. within thirty seconds I deleted. I was like, this is why am I why am I saying this? This is. Uh, I put, you, is that, but you do those. You put those out there and you delete them. So you sometimes um, still, even though you you second guess it after you put it out there, but sometimes you put those things out there and you're not like, that often. ah, fuck it. I don't need to say that. Another, t- another time I got that pissed, I didn't delete it. Uh, there was like that when um, Melissa McCarthy was first getting famous before Bridesmaids for uh, Mike and Molly. Right. There is somebody from some website who said the idea of fat people having sex is gross. Uh, Melissa McCarthy shouldn't be allowed to be famous. Okay. And I went on this tear on Twitter where I just personally ripped the author apart and how she didn't deserve to be writing because she had absolutely no sense of context or perception. And uh, that was pretty mean, but I didn't regret doing that. I, that I felt like, <laughs> like she was there. that was a woman who, who felt she was a non-presence on the internet and deserved a little bit of presence. Um, and that made me really annoyed too, is that I, I, I felt like, she was. She felt like this celebrity deserved to be taken down a peg just because they're on TV. But you know, she was trying to make herself a celebrity. The, the irony was super thick in the moment where I was just like, "You're trying to be like a famous web snark." Author. But then you're, you, yeah. So, you, but you're also saying the point of it was that she was trying to say that Melissa McCarthy, uh, just as a fact, is an ugly person, and here's why ugly people shouldn't be on television. Yes, here's why I should be on television. Yeah, well, or why I should be the next Perez Hilton or whatever. Okay, and this was before Perez Hilton had his like I I'm admit I'm a billing. bully thing. Yeah, so I think the the bullying in the in the media was. Did you ever see Heckler? 
out of control. I did. I actually just saw it. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. I just, uh, that whole section about negativity cells. Do you remember that? Somebody said that. I want to say it was like Dr. Drew. So they say sex sells in advertising, mm-hmm. but in uh, critique and reviews, negativity sells. So people just figure yeah. out these ways to be like creatively negative just for the, the fact of it. Man, but those people he found from the internet were and pretty, pretty terrifying. Incredible. Yeah. But and I also, guess that's, that, that's my goal too. Like, you, I, I feel like if you ever think you're going to become one of those people, you need to check yourself. Like, <laughs> before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Chickity, if if you could check, <laughs> you can chickity check before you riggedy wreck. Thank you. Um, well, you know, but sometimes I feel like it is. Uh, I remember having a good talk with Kanane about he was talking about uh, his first album, Death of the Party, and how he felt like it was just him being cranky about everything. He's just like, I'm just, oh, I hate my job, I hate my car, <laughs> I remember, I like, hate my life, I hate he, my uh, apartment. It's like he why, did WTF like right after that, and I remember Marin was like, I like your stuff, buddy. You're like a good old crank. <laughs> it has been a while since comedy's had someone like you just a good old-fashioned crank and, and i remember kyle just being kind of like oh okay i guess you know i guess <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are we saying, but i remember him saying that he was trying to explore things that bring him joy <laughs> that's what he was saying he's trying to explore <laughs> all right don't need to laugh that hard uh, shit. <laughs> yeah but like that's a dark cd right what uh, death of the party? Oh yeah, death of the party is is dark. No, no, no. I'm saying after that. Oh, not that he was trying to explore explore that. Oh, in for, death for of the his party. next bit. Just that it's trying to oh, move. He's the reason trying to I move was losing towards... my shit is because I thought you were saying like he told you death of the oh. party was like his exploration no. of joy in the oh, world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's the Beatles being like, well, what I was trying to do with this album <laughs> is explore my joy. But... I was like, whoa, there's no way he said. No, that. no. Okay, that just meant like as a concept, Kyle is incapable of exploring joy, um, which are not none of us are saying. I'm just saying that like there's I always noticed for myself, I guess, in some sort of way, I always tried to I felt like there was a lot of stand up what that was um don't you hate it? Right? That was kind of like don't yeah, you yeah, hate no, it? Yeah, yeah, no, I I'm I'm not drawn to that stuff either. Don't yeah. you hate it? And I was like, Well, why don't I just say I love it when? Don't you love it when? But even if it's something I hate, then I'll be being sarcastic. Well, yeah, like I and, and like here and, and here's here's where it's like that's that's a that's a great line for dark comedy. Like, like I I think the point the the goal can never be to go dark. You can use dark tools, but like you can't make the punchline. Well, I mean you can. It's not my style. I I, I don't saying, I don't enjoy when the punchline is dark for dark. Everything sake. Is, yeah, dark for dark sake. That does that that is not amusing to me. Um, but like I have a bit on my CD about Jar Jar Binks. Did you do you remember that bit? I'm uh, please refresh my memory. Where I've I, heard your album, I yes. say he's the greatest creation in all of modern storytelling. All right, and yes, I, I do. And I, I like, say it's yeah. because you know the the arc he has in the three prequels is that it's it's unbelievable how dark his character like like they you, no one no one seems to talk about or seemed I guess before right, my right. bit and it became sort of just this old thing I'm trying to retire. Uh, the 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 arc of Jar Jar Binks is that he's basically like a genocidal pawn. <laughs> yes, I remember this. I remember this. Who becomes a senator? Yeah, and and like the way I and I and I wanted to talk about that, but I had to temper it with, I think he's the greatest thing ever. Right. Because uh, I don't think it's just you can it, just tear Jar Jar apart, especially anymore. Ten years after everyone's already given up hope on the prequels, like right, like. Right. like 
like I felt like if I'm going to talk about it at all, I have to kind of put him on a pedestal a little bit and be like, no, you guys, this is amazing. The fact that he exists is incredible. Yeah, it really he is. Why. And I believe that. Like, right. I, but I also had to, I, I had to put in the setup, like a uh, communication of that idea. And I had to, and I had to carry it through. Cause that, that bit gets super dark too. But like, I, I had, to, I, I feel like the only way you can go into a dark place is if you, Temper it with yeah, yeah. Temper it with joy. You gotta let the audience know, like, there's gonna be a glimmer of productivity to that. I, I and I say you gotta, like, this rule applies to anyone but me. But I found, I gotta. You can say I gotta. I gotta do that. I mean, I, I, I go really dark a lot, mm-hmm. and I think it's just because, like, I think it's fun to dig a hole for myself. I think it's enjoyable to see how how much you can bring people happiness in dark places. Hmm. Okay. See, cause I think that I start in a hole. <laughs> I, when I come on stage. You're like in a hole. I already, am, I'm not what you expected, <laughs> but I feel that way too. Right. And that's part of what I enjoy about it. I think, I think like I immediately don't meet the audience's expectations. I'm a nerd who, who is not good at remembering facts. I'm a, a man who is kind of a spaz uh and like yeah i i don't and you made more of you i did uh which i don't know a lot of people especially comics who who did that and so well that's what i meant to say that's what i'm trying to say before not that i'm denigrating what you've done just so oh i didn't know. think you were no. okay thank god it's just that like it's like you you were that's why i say you're an adult <laughs> you have responsibilities outside oh, of it's your so hard to find other people with kids I, I can't tell you how hard it is like i've been trying to research schools out here and like it's so hard the only like i know a couple of people who are like improv sketch people who have kids right but i don't know them that well well i'm thinking of Most... comedians that i know that have children and they're older than you Either, and their children are younger than yours. They're either they're older than you, and their well, children are younger than yours. That's the thing. Yours. A lot of a lot of people in uh a tr- in a in a dramatic and troubling performance art form decide to wait until they're stable. And so, like, I also know comics who are not only uh eight years older than me, and, but maybe they do have kids my age, but they're way more famous than I am. Like, right, like right, I, right. I I decided I was happy before I was famous, and therefore I was ready to have kids. Don't you know that that's the only way to be happy? Is to have children? No, no, fame. Oh, fame. Oh, yeah, that's where I blew it, buddy. Uh, but yeah, no, like I feel like a lot of a lot of the people like I want to be asking questions are completely outside my class yeah, system. Yeah, yeah. And, like, There's nothing that they can say that'll actually apply to your life. They'll be like, well, all you got to do is just move to a nice neighborhood. I'm like, I'm unemployed. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, then buy a house. And, uh, no, nope, yeah, that's well, not going to. When you buy your house, don't get a gardener Book right a away. theater tour? Yeah, no. exactly. Just book a theater. That'll help fund it. Buy a plane. No. Record, record another album. You, don't, you can't get a Gulfstream? No. Yeah. Tomorrow? No. But but that does come up. I mean, like I've asked a couple of people for advice, and they're just like, "This sounds great," and 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 I'll be like, "I can't afford, don't know." Um, and it, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's yeah, I I I'm not what the audience expects in a lot of ways, but and and it's fun to have fun with that. But I do think like when you put the audience outside their comfort zone, like you you got to hold their hand a little bit on some level. It, yeah, it depends on where you go, and I and I know that for myself, I've had jokes that are dark for dark sake and i and i've done them and i i wrote it because i i knew specifically this was something that is dark and true to me and just that in itself i expect to make you uncomfortable but that's the kind of laugh is like it's going to be an uncomfortable laugh but i'm knowing laugh 
And I've had like really fucked up things happen to me in a negative way. And I find one fun way to make that into a joke is autobiographically is mm-hmm. you just get the audience on your side. You just say like, look how I was wronged. And then you just rip into that target. And that's right, it. Right. It's that you just have to, you just have to make them think you're a worthy cause to rally behind. Cause like a lot of, a lot of, I had, I had like two different bits about Cubs fans in Chicago. Okay. Fucking with me. Just cause Cubs fans are Fuck often really angry, deluded, drunk people. <laughs> and, um, if I told that joke in a bar across the street from Wrigley Field, it would go great because they would be like, yeah, we're drunk. We are assholes. <laughs> and if I told that joke in a club in Milwaukee, they would be like, hey, yeah, fuck Chicago. But if I told that joke in a room full of people who just see me walk on stage and they're like, well, we, we don't, we're not cool with you being like a self-conscious, angry dad like that doesn't compute and i start talking about cubs fans fucking me and be like well we kind of like sports maybe you are an asshole like you you know like there's that weird thing of they're like, not rallying behind no you. no no you have to you have to kind of treat every audience like it's a new contract you're like okay like how am i gonna how am i gonna bridge this you can't like how am i gonna especially with rage bits which i do sometimes like you're like mm, they're not in the mood for that <laughs> i like you just i like that if that's on your set list all right, let's see here. Uh, Jar Jar Binks and Rage Bits. Well, I'll do this. About, I'll be like, like I have, I have a bit about uh, how angry I am at homophobia in lieu of what happened to Sally Ride when she died. Mm. And, and that bit, while not... Out- oh, is that on your album too? No. Is that new? No. Yes, it is new. Okay. Um, right. I do have an astronaut bit on the CD. Okay. Um, All right. But this is like yet another astronaut bit. You like space uh, stuff. I know what I'm gonna say, but the, but the bit is not outwardly angry. It just it gets really mean at homophobes, like mean, mean, and I don't express it with rage or anger. But uh, I get so dark that if you're not on board with homophobes or assholes, right? If you're not on board with the premise in the first place, I am gonna be dead in the water, and I don't yeah, have yeah. like a huge following outside of like Chicago, Bloomington, Indiana, and like like a few other cities. Like like so like if I were to just go up and do that hearsay, it would have to be a really like safe, easy kind of room, I think, or situation. Um, if I were to just do that at a random like room where it was there's no promise of alternative comedy there's no promise of uh right everybody young came in, people everybody came to hear country and suddenly you're getting up there and doing hip-hop right. like i'm pretty lucky that most of the shows i've done on here i've been able to i've been a been able to keep pretty busy and b do a lot of cool shows but i've done a show at least one that i can think of mm-hmm. where the audience was older and not sure why they were there and you can't yeah like it's it's funny how when people aren't there or they are potentially already thinking about their own mortality. Like that you really got to kind of grease those wheels and there's only so much you can do. Grease the wheels to get them into the afterlife <laughs> basically. But I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it. I don't know why. Obsessed I mean, but I, but, but I think what I'm finding, darkness, you mean? yeah, but I think you are too. Like, I think you say you've got bits and I think obsessing may be a strong word for what I am. I just interest like, like what, no, what is it about dark humor? That's just people. I mean, it's, it's like, fun, right? It can be fun, but it's, it's, it's very challenging. It's challenging, and but that's why it's fun, right? Like, because that not all not all my bits are dark, but like when you go there, you go, oh, this is that bit. If I can pull people, this off, I guess it's just like, and that's 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 the that's the place where we are in our, uh, that's the the line that we straddle as stand ups is how much me do I need to bring and things that I think are interesting and fun, and how much do I have to come to their level? 
right? Especially be- unless you until you become a draw and people are coming to see specifically what you do, then you're always kind of bridging yeah. this gap between what it is that you do and what and this general expectation of comedy that you're, you know, so it's like making strangers laugh is all is the standard. Yeah. That we we face every single day. It's the day. best thing in the world. It, and the best thing in the world is making people laugh who you don't know them at all. Well, and and I get into debates, you know, with people that are saying, "Oh, funny is funny is funny is funny," and I'm like, "That's a, that's not true," because that precludes the context of a situation. That precludes yeah. There's a lot of layers to that, that people, discussion. Yeah, and that like people bring. I think um, even though all comedy is subjective, it's still very layered. Like, I, but I think I know what they're saying. Like, don't you love it when a comic can make anyone laugh? But but that's still not everyone's cup of tea, right? Like, it's still not everyone's. Cup, that's absolutely correct. A comic that can make everyone laugh. Some people are like, well, you're making everyone laugh. So you can't be doing anything that special. Right. Like, hum- Some like, people have that standard. Right. Like, haven't you ever liked something in pop culture? And then mm-hmm. you found out someone older than you liked it, who you thought was a little lame. And then you kind of just ever so, ever so slightly went, oh, boy, that's not my, like, secret Oh, I thing do that anymore. all the time. Yeah. I so, like, I, I, think, I think, you know, the idea that, like, comedy's coming, blah, 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 well, if that's your tunnel vision goal, you're going to eventually have a large portion of people who will be, there's no way you can convince them you're funny. Like they will exactly. go, you are too obsessed with just making everyone laugh. And that is the, and so, yeah, there's no way to win. Getting addicted to the kill. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to, it's so easy to kill, but it doesn't mean you're doing anything that anyone gives a shit about. I know what you're talking about for sure. Or that, or that you're doing anything that we have to entertain ourselves. But that's those are the two kinds of audiences: those that like to be challenged and those that like to be confirmed. But don't and you, most people like to be confirmed? Of course, we. Yeah, no, and and, and comedians I think, like to be challenged. We like I, to be pushed. And I think it's I think it's always our responsibility to, like, if we see somebody who doesn't want to be challenged, to still try to like give them a good time, unless they're fucking with us actively, unless they're heckling, you know, like yeah. to be like, okay, I get you're not here. Let's let's try and get you on board. Let's do something. Uh, and I think every comedian's approach to that is different. I, um, I've seen a lot of comedians actively taunt those people, but in a way that's clearly like a fun taunt, like, yeah, oh, come yeah, on, yeah. and have them pull it off. But I've also seen comedians do that and have it fail Miserable. many times. Yeah. And, and um, that's my favorite challenge is like, how much can you get? Like, like the, when I say I love to dig a hole, I don't like to dig a hole to fail. I like being on stage. And going like, oh, I know how to do this. Like, I know how to get you guys back. I right. like, I like to start off strong, and then when something goes bad, go, oh, let's face this. Like, well, <laughs> like let's figure out what just went. I wrong. was just thinking about like the last time I remember going to. Have you done French toast yet? Do you know? Uh, uh, no, but uh, I was thinking about either going tonight or soon. Yeah, well, I did it a couple, maybe a couple months ago, and. Zach Sherwin, who is a podcast regular of mine, and um, yeah, one of the hosts producers of that show got into an altercation with this girl no way that he's so nice i can't believe but it wasn't that's the other thing (laughs) is that he's so nice and it wasn't him she right shut it down so hard because it was like he basically was trying to he was doing this bit where he was the game was i'm gonna tell you a hip-hop lyric you know i'm gonna i'm gonna there was a song i don't remember which song it was oh it was gin and juice (laughs) right and uh, no, no, nothing but a G thing. It was nothing but a G thing. So he would ask questions uh, based on the lyrics of nothing but a G thing, you know, which is like, what are such and such and such and suches? And the answer would be a different lyric from the song. Mm-hmm. And there was this girl in the back who was with a couple friends 
and she was playing the game. And it, the thing is, at first, it was great and positive, and the audience was having a great time. He was asking her these questions. She was. I saw the, the glow of her phone on her face. So she's like, yeah. uh, let me check. Uh, let me think about that, looking at her phone, right? Then Zach comedically called her out on using her phone. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, don't be a piece of shit. Just answer him. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you get him right or not. And she just shut down completely. She was just like, I don't appreciate being called a piece of shit. She just totally shut the... Well, I'm from Chicago, so we don't... And she did that. That was another thing. I'm from Chicago, so what? I don't know. She just started... So she did, she throwing out to put up with like she's a little tough girl. I think so. That's she, the worst. She just thing started from throing Chicago. out these like non sequiturs to prove why he couldn't talk to her this way. But in a way that didn't make any sense. And he was trying to apologize. He's like, "No, look, I thought we were having fun. We were, yeah, we were yeah. playing the game." And she just stopped talking until she got up and left with her four people. Ugh. And it just it turned. It was like mom and dad just fought. That's what it felt like in the right, room right, where right. everyone was just like, "What the hell?" And I do not doubt that everyone was just like, "What is that girl's deal?" I feel bad for Zach, yeah, Zach yeah, and now and like, I just feel bad in general. That, you, that, well, right, because on some level you wanted both of those two people to be happy. <laughs> you wanted there to be some, revolu- some revolution. Resolution. Yeah, A revolutionary resolution. I always feel like, um, like one of my big things I got from theater that hasn't necessarily helped me <laughs> yeah. is the Scary. idea that like your audience ideally leaves their baggage at the door. Like That's supposed to be... Part of Ideally. The, the theatrical tradition. Right. They don't. No. Never. Never but, have. But the idea is all. you enjoy escapism better when you you know I'm going to give my suspension of disbelief to a person, projection, or troop. Right. And and we will see how well they handle themselves, but I will not be obsessively thinking about how my aunt was murdered by a kangaroo. Okay. And so the idea then being if, say, a stand-up comedian tells a joke about being murdered by a kangaroo, you will not break into loud uh, sobbing jags mm-hmm. and accuse the comedian in front of everyone of being a horrible person and then storm out of, of the room. I still have had that happen to me. Yeah, definitely. With a joke about kangaroos. Especially happens on, <laughs> especially happens on the internet when people don't have any context of exactly. like, no tone and no... The big danger of Twitter, like... like you you cannot be mean at all, and people will still take it personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but but yeah, I told a joke about kangaroos once, and this woman pulled me aside and said that was really, was really screwed up what you did up there. And the set had gone great, and so I was like, all right. And she she was just like, I wish you know my aunt was killed by a kangaroo. You know, we were trying to play with one that we met when we were on vacation, and it killed her. And um, you know, no one believes me, and it's. The worst thing in my life has been trying to tell people uh, that this has happened and having them never believe me. Um, and I just want to know those are dangerous animals. Um, people really do get killed by them. And I think you're really unfunny and you shouldn't do this anymore. And and I tried to let it go and 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 not be a dick about it. But she really was like grabbing my arm and be like, "No, you understand. You're really bad at this." Like she was really trying to be that person. Right, right. And I just, after you, after you, literally just made like, everyone laugh for a yeah, while. Well, right. And like, and 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 I never know 
what to do in that situation. Well, I, I mean, I you tell like, her that she's wrong, and you say, well, I'm I said, sorry, I said I'm something sorry that it, happened to you. I said something to the effect of like, "There's no way I could know." Yeah, I didn't. I didn't look up. I didn't look enough. up people in the audience and see whose family members died in a hilarious it's not way. She, she just started saying stuff that like, you know, you should never talk about death. When I came to laugh, you shouldn't talk about people dying, and like, it's just like, ugh, well, it's know? always interesting to see, especially. Because I, I was just thinking, like, uh, I saw a comedian last night, Amaya Perea. I don't know if you've met Amaya. And nope. I was just thinking, because I hadn't seen her in a while. And one time I retweeted this dumb joke where she talked about, um, I just had a miscarriage, right? That, oh, boy. It said, I just had a miscarriage, parentheses, spilled some milk on the ground. Right? And somebody fucking blew up about it. You know what I mean? Because it, oh they, yeah, and they're like miscarriage jokes are not funny. It's horrible. You've n- obviously never experienced the pain of this. It's just like yeah, obviously I haven't. No, I'm a. I, but it's like I can't say that they're wrong, but I can't say that they're right. Well, not like I think she must have known on some level. <laughs> like not that someone would say something to her, but that like she was playing with fire when she used that word, right? Yeah, that well, that's part and of the, like the point of the joke, though. It's just like it's a oh. The absurdity of referring to spilling milk as a miscarriage, but saying, oh, I miscarried something. I was carrying something. I did it wrong, and now it's been spilled. Yeah, like, I try— It's re- just a dumb joke. And that's the thing. Like, I know because I like dark humor, I'm definitely not saying she should have done this, but I personally have, have little rules in my head of, like, look, don't even bother with abortion jokes. <laughs> don't bother with rape jokes. Uh, and, and I'm sure I've broken those rules before, but like, I know just from that kangaroo experience and countless, I've mentioned movies that I found offensive and people in the audience found touching and then they got angry at me. Like, you know, just, but that's the thing you can't, you literally can't win. Yeah. So all you can do is talk about what you think is funny to you and make mistakes and get into weird altercations with people on the internet and in audiences and just. Brush that dirt off your shoulders. Oh, that's the big part. Like you can never take an offended audience member personally, but the, but yeah. Oh boy, I've had some people take shit real personally. Well, it's because to them, it's it, it's a big violation to them. But there's no way you can know that you 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 are not responsible for their experience in their in their life outside of yeah, this and, show. And I think I think maybe it's just because comedy is honestly kind of doing well as far as people going and supporting it live, but like. I've had people go to so many shows where I just feel like you didn't even know what you were doing when you left the house on this level that, like, I've heard stories, but I swear I've had shit happen to me at, at shows where I'm like, you really had no idea what was... <laughs> like, I, I'm always astounded. There's always a new... a new. I, oh, I've, I've had a woman threaten to call the cops uh, because I told a joke that she thought was too gross. Uh, it's like... And I was, ta- I was talking about how I had bloody noses as a little kid, and she... She accused me of trying to give everyone in the audience AIDS. It was insane. What? She said, she said, she, her boyfriend didn't want to say it, but she said, my boyfriend's a doctor. He will back me up on this. Anybody who just bleeds is a, is a, is a hell. And she stood up to do this. And I was just like, and this, this was, you know, years ago, but like, I was just like, what? <laughs> like, Who's that dumb that they think they're in like a performance and they need to just interrupt her? But hold on, this person telling jokes might like be a, a public health hazard. Let me hold on, everybody. Let me take care of this. Are you contagion? My boyfriend is a doctor. Wow. 
And wow. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't know. I, I'll always be surprised by that. I think like, I, 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 anytime someone comes up to me and tells me they found one of my jokes to not be great, which doesn't happen that often, but happens often enough that you remember well, when, it with well, a brain And when band. it happens, it's because it, when it does happen, it's because you said something that set off a very specific alarm. Yeah. So it's never just like, hey, I didn't like you. It's like, I didn't like you and I have a... You shouldn't tell jokes about Christ. You shouldn't Here's tell all the jokes. reasons that things that you yeah. said that personally bother me, but I'm going to make it your problem in this conversation. Yeah, and I always wish I could tell them all the dumb things people have called me out for and be like, so maybe you're right to be hurt. Maybe you shouldn't have had fun tonight, but, I, but all I ask of you is... Put it into perspective with little kids have bloody noses and kangaroos and ask yourself, <laughs> where is it on this scale that's out there of like shit that's worth going up to the comedian or interrupting the comedian? Like me, I always, I always, I always believe very firmly that the ultimate revenge for any of you out there who think any of these sound offensive, the ultimate revenge against a comedian is deathly silence. Indifferent, hollow, cacophonous silence. Folded arms. That works great. And then when they ask you when the, if the comedian is shitty and they go, hey, why are you fooling around? You're having fun. What's your problem? When they do that, give them silence. It will destroy them from the inside out. That is the best revenge. You don't need to heckle. Just have, just have zero. Hell, your date will know. Maybe your date will <laughs> realize that you're not a person that should come to live comedy. They won't continue to drag you to live comedy. You know, like Hopefully they'll stop seeing you. Hopefully no one will date you. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I just, I just feel like and I don't know why this became a heckler discussion, but uh, well, I mean, we're just talking about people's people's react reactions to darkness. Yeah, I, I think, I think if a comedian handles darkness poorly, which I think we've both seen happen a billion times, and I think I've done it, they pay for it. I think I've handled, I've handled it poorly, and I've seen people handle it poorly, and I've handled it poorly. And it's just you, you, you know when it's happening because they're quiet. If you tell a joke that you think is hilarious but dark and the audience is quiet, oh, you fucked that one up real good. <laughs> it's not like because right because it's not like a normal joke where you fuck it up. You fuck up a normal joke and they don't laugh, right? And you go, all right, it needs a little work. But if you tell a joke that's fucked up and it ends with like a cat exploding, and the audience goes like, ooh, you go, oh fuck, yeah, people like cats. <laughs> That's a great tag to that, though. <laughs> All right. People like cats. Wouldn't it be great if every... Because I've seen so many comics do dark bits that go nowhere and just end on a, end on a dark, murderous... How many, if, they, if every person who did that ended with a tag of like, oh, people like those. Well, every laugh, every laugh is not the same laugh. You know, like, it's, it's like... And comedians make that mistake of every laugh is equal, which is not true. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember There's civil rights and segregation in laughs One of my improv teachers way back in the day Used to tell us uh, Laughter is the sound of surprise mm -hmm. And I think That shock kind of laughter Bleeds a little bit too much into That like and I think I think too many Too many times I've seen uh, Comics go up and just try to shock, shock the audience There's like no humor at all Right and then there's was no really popular in Chicago for a while actually There's no like exchange a, of ideas There's no exchange of ideas Yeah yeah Like I don't, I, I've seen so many comics who like And it was especially rough for a while there When I booked a show in Chicago That got kind of popular uh, Comics who were really proud of their shock jokes and even Regardless of whether they ever got a response 
or not. They just like that they could push a and button they, and in they, that way. They just thought that was the best thing ever. I could go on stage and just yell the words rape and abortion in in alternate intervals uh, until the, my set is done, and that makes me pretty hardcore. New word, uh, rape-abortion. I'll let you coin that one. Uh, that's all you, Barrett. And you know what? I'm really glad you coined that word, rape-abortion. I, I will never say it now because I know it's yours. It is a trademark... <laughs> It's a trademark Baron Vaughn word. Uh, I oh boy, that sounds. I dare you to say that. I'll try it. Okay. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Well, I won't. Uh, I meant say it now, not like in your set. I, oh, in, in the context now. Say it one more time. Ray Borshin. <laughs> that sounds like I'm talking about a person named Ray. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. His last name is Borshin. Uh, it sounds so weird. <laughs> hey, I'm Ray Borshin. Nice to meet you. What? Well, the 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 P is getting lost in there. Uh, it's a silent B. The silent P. Oh, it's silent P. Okay, right. so it's Ray Borshin. Yeah, it's it's spelled P B. <laughs> it's one of those silent P's. O R. Yeah, you know how things are spelled that way. Yeah, anyway. you know, what I mean? like you've seen so many people do this, and like I don't, yeah. I don't think I'm better than those people, but I do go like, oh, like that. That I think lowers. Anytime you I mean see, going for the shock. Going yeah, for the shock like shock. well, like 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 shock with irony, great, go for it, hilarious. Shock with a twist, great, go for it. But people who just go up there and like, I'm gonna skeeve the audience out, makes it so hard for everyone else to do dark humor. Like I, I would like I remember like six years ago going to open mics, being like, got a couple of little dark ones. I hope I can try them tonight. And then the person would go up before me and just be like, you ever think about just eating a child? And you're like. Oh, I, I'm going to be doing an uphill battle. I think I'm just going to do the uh, other Well, it's stuff. just amazing how quickly, <laughs> how easily one comedian... It's just that people bring such, I don't know, strange and wily expectations and baggage to comedy in specific. No, I, don't, I, I genuinely it's believe we, oh, and like, no other performance art has the amount of baggage that, that people Hell bring yeah, to comedy. Man. Well, and especially because I come from theater and sketch and improv where, like, there's filters. There's other people who will either edit you or save your ass or at least tell you in a rehearsal, like, no, that's a little too creepy. You know, like, don't, let's, let's, you gotta back up. But stand up, all you got is unsolicited advice. That's your only filter well, you, in, in, you, in audiences. So like, and you, you, you develop your own gauge as you become more experienced. And you're like, ah, that was not exactly what I needed to say. Figure, figure that crap out. But I just feel like it's comedy. It's one fucking word. It's jokes. It's, it's jokes, humor. Comedy and funny. Those are such broad yeah. things. And I think there's so many people who uh, have had even darker lives than I have who like, that is their therapy. And they... They've got a little bit they, of extroversion. And, and if they gonna... do it well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it as much as anything else. If they do it well, I've seen uh, there's comedians who are fucked up and dark, and they don't do it well, and then they're the ones who fucking nail it. And like, fuck, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, I am so jealous of Anthony Jeselnik. Uh, he is so good at that, and plus, he is extremely conventionally attractive. So like, he goes out there, <laughs> and like. He's just wh whatever he says. He's got this layer of just like, well, I'm a handsome guy, yeah. and like, I am blonde. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, that could be his tag. I am blonde. I, you know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's done that. Um, uh, but like, but yeah, I'm so jealous because then I'll be like, I think every time I do a joke as dark as his, I'm slouching. Hmm. <laughs> I'm like actively slouching and sweating. And like... But then also, like, I mean, that's Jeselnik's thing. I can't imagine him doing anything conversational. 
I can't imagine him saying anything that actually connects to anything in his personal experience or belief. Because that's not the style of oh, comedy. I could he does. see him doing it. I think he's good enough. I, I could if he if he wanted to change if he it wanted up. to do that he'd do that. But I can't see it because I'm used to right. right this is right. the thing that he does. You know, I remember uh, Dan. You know Dan Mintz. Yeah, yeah. So and Dan he's does really a, good at doing dark shit. He does, and he does a very specific character. And I remember once a long time ago hanging out with him in New York, and because I'll say that to people in conversations, you know, uh, comedians that they say something, I'm like, that's uh, did you have you said that on stage? It's incredible. Because people, because comedians say, I know you guys are surprised to hear this. Comedians say the funniest things <laughs> when they're not thinking about being funny. Sometimes just things come out and you're like, that is so interesting and honest and true. And you should say that on stage, right? I'll call that out. Mm. So Dan Mintz said something to me like that. And I said, oh, have you ever? And he was like, well, I don't really do that style of comedy. He's like, I'm not doing something yeah, yeah, conversational yeah. that's actually reflects who I am in that way. He's like, if I did that style, then I would do that. What's well, another reason just people like him and Anthony are as good as they are. It's just like, they know what they want out of this. Like they know exactly like it's a very specific set of tools. It's great. It's a very specific set of skills. And they're coming after you with jokes taken the comedy version. Nope. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Talking. I love Dan Mintz. He's, he's yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of Dan's that you love, thank you for being here. Dan. Thank you for having me. It's Baron. been fun. And we'll do it again. Uh, some other time. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I'm you got another. So good at like ending podcasts. <laughs>